You are listening to the weekly sermon from Elevation Community Church in Blanchester, Ohio. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Phil Nelson. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit myelevationcc.org. Let's pray. Jesus, we truly on this earth will never be able to comprehend and measure the worth that you see in us. It doesn't make sense. But God, you loved us You love the world that you gave your only son, that whoever believes and receives in that will not get what they deserve in their sin, but they will have everlasting life in you. And so Jesus, we just, we wanna calm our hearts and our minds that are just raging, scattered, nonstop. Lord, would you even forgive us for our complaining this morning? Forgive us, Lord, for the tension in our marriages. Forgive us, God, for just trying to grip the steering wheel of our lives and not living in surrender to you, God. So we flip our hands from clenching the wheel of our life. We flip it over palms up to release it to you, God. You are sovereign. You are in control. You have the last say. You, th- th- there's nothing that happens in our life that doesn't go past your throne. And so, Lord, I just ask God, whatever people need this morning here in the sanctuary, in their homes, wherever they're watching on their devices, God, would you meet them in a special way? Bring the peace of your presence that passes all understanding. Guard our hearts. Guard our minds. Teach us on your potter's wheel of your word today. Holy Spirit, we give you control and permission to mold us and shape us like Jesus. And Lord, I know this is a hard message, a very difficult message for anyone who is struggling with walking that line between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world. Jesus prayed that we would not be taken from this world, but that we would be unified in this world. We would not be of it. And so God, as this message goes forth, I pray that your Holy Spirit would mute my lips if it's not of your word. But if it is, God, bring your anointing and just melt us like wax in the the palm of your hands. Right now, we choose to do what Mary in in Luke uh, did, not Martha. We, We choose to put aside the distractions, all the plans for a wonderful Super Bowl evening. We put aside all the things that are just like being scattered and tossed back and fro in our minds and our emotions and our will. Everything, all of our concerns and burdens, God, all of our worries of this world, we place at your feet. We prioritize what Mary did and you said it will not be taken away from her. I silence the lies of the enemy. 
I silence the lies of the dark domain. We have authority as children of God, not just people who are in leadership. We have authority as people who Christ indwells. We have authority over the darkness. Our weapons are not earthly, but they're powerful in destroying strongholds. God, would you destroy these strongholds of our generations that have trickled down to the third, the fourth, the fifth generation? God, come and break through in only a way that you can. Yes. May our worship, our hearts, and the words of our mouth be pleasing to you, O oh God. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Wow, what a sweet time of worship. Love it. Welcome to those who are joining us live stream. We love you. We miss you and uh, would love to connect with you. So you can always go to our website and fill out an online connect form that goes directly to us and we will get it. Uh, or you can contact us on Facebook or you can just email us at uh, contact at myelevationcc.org. We'd love to connect with you in whatever way we can during this crazy and challenging season. We're, uh, we're in the Beatitude season series, excuse me, Be the Attitude and we're really trying to focus on what it means to have the attitudes of Christ. And um, I'd like to become just a little vulnerable for a moment. And uh, still to this day, Lauren, uh, Lauren and I have been married 17 years. And still the hardest thing in our life or the hardest, most challenging season of our lives was in 2006. We were married uh, two years. I was performing professionally in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. If you've never seen a show, this is a shameless plug at Sight and Sound Theaters in Lancaster or Branson now, you are missing out. But they also have now a, a, a website where you can actually watch their shows uh, online. And um, so I was blessed to be performing there. And uh, my wife and I just knew that the next season of what God has been calling and put on my heart since 1998, uh, what's the next step was unfolding to go into uh, full-time ministry. And uh, I knew it was coming. The challenge was we, we as actors, performers, we have to sign a yearly contract. And so you sign on the dotted line basically saying, I will not break this contract. And then you're cast uh, in, in the two or three shows that they have for the year. Well, God told me that this was the end of your contract. And so I had to with nothing uh, in front of us but just the faith of knowing that God is calling us out. Uh, I didn't sign the contract for the upcoming season. And so we knew that God was calling us out. And uh, lo and behold, there just weren't many opportunities. And there was one opportunity that I shied away from because of the denominational background. And I just felt like uh, I, I'd rather not go through that. Well, God had other plans. And he said, are you willing to trust me and not trust a denomination? I said, yeah. So we dropped everything. We packed up everything into a truck. We were married two years. It's crazy how much you can accumulate in two years. And we took everything that we had at that point 
and we moved to somewhere in Kentucky. And uh, we were there for four months. And let me tell you, if you've ever been to a foreign place and you feel like you just don't fit in and you're like, it's like you're the piece of the puzzle and the puzzle that God's given you, it just doesn't fit. That was us. And we tried, uh, I mean, as much as we could, my heart was to learn from people who've been in the ministry. I was very um, aware of my lack of experience. And so there was times where I would go into the pastor's office and say, I wanna be your armor bearer. I wanna pray for you. I wanna learn from you. I just don't think they were ready for me. <laughs> and I, I mean that in the, in, in the most loving terms, but uh, where, where they were going with their ministry, it was obvious that I wasn't, um, I wasn't the fit. Um, sadly, it was just four months uh, into it. He comes in, up to my office, which my office was in the attic, by the way. Um, interesting story there. And uh, one of the first conversations I had with him in four months was him telling me that they're letting me go. And uh, it was so difficult to receive because I tried to lay myself out to learn and to mentor, and they just didn't fulfill that expectation. And uh, he said, you know, it's nothing you've done. You've been great. How, how do you like to hear that? Nothing that you've done great, but sorry. <laughs> we don't need you anymore. You've been through that, some of you. And there's a, there's a long story into it, and uh, I really don't need to get into it because, honestly, God has redeemed it. He has taken me through what I needed to go through to grow up in Christ. But I wanna tell you something. I felt like the best way to illustrate it is if as a little kid, I was consumed with football. Now this is an illustration, I don't play a football, fo football a lick, okay? But let's just say I grew up going through peewee football and youth football and middle school football and high school football, and then I get a scholarship to college on Wisconsin Badgers, right? And I go to uh, Wisconsin, I get a full scholarship, and I'm doing great, and then I get drafted into the NFL. Remember, this is just a story. I felt like it was my first season in the NFL, and like my second play out on the big field called ministry, I'm sacked by like a 450 pound dude and I'm paralyzed from the waist down. And the rest of the season, I'm in a wheelchair on the sideline watching everyone else play ball. That's how I felt in 2006. I felt like everything I was made for, everything I pursued, had come to a paralyzing halt. Ever been there? Guys, I couldn't even walk into church anywhere. I was so hurt and wounded by people in the church. I'll never forget that day. I got the news and said to pack your stuff. I was driving home and I'm thinking, how am I gonna tell my wife I don't have work? 
How am I going to tell my wife that God called us here and four months later we're leaving? And I'll never forget. It was like Jesus showed up in my car. And I'm weeping like a little baby. And Jesus says, son, I want to encourage you. (laughs) This is part of my plan. But if you let bitterness take root, you will rob yourself of every blessing that I have in store for you. Those next two years were the hardest years of trying to learn to forgive those who hurt you those who took your dreams away from you. My wife and I literally had to brush the dust off our feet when we left. It got so bad. But I tell you this because it took me two years to understand that what God needed to do in me before I ever led and shepherded a body in church I had to come under the chief surgeon's scalpel and learn what it meant to be saved by grace and mercy. To learn what it means to worship, it literally costs you something. Worship is about surrender. You don't understand surrender until you've been broken. And you haven't been broken unless you've been dropped or shoved or tipped over. And if you're like me, when I was dropped in 2006, I shattered all over the place. Some of you have been through way worse than I have. You've been through a crucible that still haunts you every time you think about it. But you see what God wants to do as we grow in Christ, our knowledge of Christ and into the image of Christ. God never designed us to stay spiritual babies, never. The biggest thing that keeps us as spiritual babies is unforgiveness and bitterness. It will rob you of growing like Christ. And so I wanna talk about the staircase illustration of the Beatitudes. Be the attitude. You're saved by grace, and it's not anything that you've done or can do. When Jesus died to save you, it was spelled D-O-N-E, done. We like to spell salvation, D-O, do. When Jesus died, it was finished for us. It's free, it's a free gift. But in order to grow up into the image of Christ, it will cost you your life. And it starts with the first step of being poor in spirit, understanding that there is not a single ounce of good within you that could ever amount to anything that God would be pleased with. Secondly, you need to weep spiritually and emotionally over your sinful state that without Jesus, you would absolutely be bound to hell for future permanent, eternal punishment that we deserve. 
It's not until we understand our spiritual bankruptcy that we can start to be gentle and humble because Jesus was gentle and humble. And then once we understand that, we can begin to thirst and hunger for the things of God. It's called righteousness. First, we have right standing because of Jesus alone, period. You, you try to stand right in front of God in your own strength and flesh and works, you're done. But what we're talking about and what Jesus is referring to about hungering and thirsting for righteousness is this. Do you hunger and thirst that God's righteousness through Jesus, his right living, his perfection, his holiness, his peace, his patience, his kindness, his joy, his gentleness, his faithfulness, and self-control would be evident in your life? That's how we grow up from spiritual infants to spiritual teenagers to spiritual young adults, to spiritual adults, and then to spiritual parents and grandparents. Sadly, the church is stagnant because no one is growing up in Christ. So the, the next step in maturity, I think is one of the hardest. And if you don't have the four steps embedded in you, there is no way you're gonna do that next step, which is blessed are those who are merciful, not sh it doesn't say who show mercy. You can show mercy and really not mean it. It's blessed are those who are merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. You see, it's a spiritual law called you reap what you sow. It's a spiritual law that does not change in the kingdom of God. You reap patience, you will receive patience. You reap, or excuse me, you sow generosity, you will reap generously. You sow forgiveness, you will receive forgiveness. It is a spiritual law that Jesus taught about all the time. And you see, the key to spiritual growth up the staircase of maturity in the knowledge and image of Christ, this is key. Some of you may need to even write this down. It's not gonna be on the screen. It is that in order for you to live out the attitudes, the be the attitudes of Christ, you have to first receive them. You have to receive them. You can't give to others something you haven't received. And so before we even go any further, maybe we need to start there and receive God's grace and mercy. And so I'd like to start with one of three points. The first point is this, remember your story. Remember your story. You all have a story. And if you're in Christ, that story is called a testimony. Your story is going to be a component of how you overcome the evil one. The first is the blood of the lamb, the blood of Jesus that covers you, destroys the evil one. But then it's gonna be your testimony, your story. And if you're having a difficult time showing forgiveness and mercy, we need to first look at our own story. 
And that is found in Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 10. Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 10. If you have your Bibles or a phone with a Bible app, go ahead and turn to it. 10 verses, it's a lot, but here's your story. And if you don't know Christ and you've never received Christ's grace, which means undeserved favor, then this can be your story. And I hope and pray it does become your story. And you were dead, say dead. Like, you know, Princess Bride is almost dead. No, you're dead. You're dead in the trespasses and your sin. I heard it just this week say, if sin was blue, we'd all be Smurfs. I'll let that settle in for a minute. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We've sinned, which separates us from God's righteousness. Following the course of this world, the world, The world is not a holy place. It's not the kingdom of God yet. The kingdom of God will come and renew, make a new heaven and a new earth. But it's it's the devil's footstool right now is the world because of sin. Following the prince and the power of the air, Satan himself, the spirit that is now at work in the sons and daughters of disobedience. And uh, we all once lived, all of us were blue. We all once lived, once is the key word there. Or are you in Christ and you're still following after the course of the world? You have to make a decision. You can't serve two masters. That's not the point of the message, but hey, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. Your sin stirs the wrath of God. A good and loving God who's also holy and righteous cannot tolerate sin. Just like a mom and dad should never tolerate pornography in their home with their kids. But God, but God, my favorite word in the Bible is but. (laughs) But God, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead, even, say even, even. Some translations say while. This is the greatest news, even beyond mercy and love is while we were sinners, Jesus Christ died for you. You see, his mercy is not based on whether you're full of sin or not. His mercy is based only on the cross and the love of Jesus being sent by the Father. By grace, it's a free gift Grace is undeserved favor. By grace, you've been saved and raised up with him and seated in heavenly places. Do you know that if you are in Christ, Christ dwells within you and you are already seated in heavenly places? That's your spiritual identity. 
so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace. Have you ever, have you ever thought about that? That you are the vessel in which he wants to show the world his immeasurable, immeasurable riches of his grace. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's a free gift of God, not results of works, so that no man or woman may boast. For we are his workmanship. You know that word in the Greek is poema. Poema, you know where we get that word in the English? Poem. You are God's poem. You are God's masterpiece of a poem to share his immeasurable riches and grace to the world. That you should walk in it. This is mercy. This is grace. And let me say this real quick too. I, I'll go back. Uh, the definition of mercy. Mercy defined, shall we say. Mercy is compassion. Mercy is pity. And mercy can be related to forgiveness. Let's look at what this looks like. A merciful person forgives the one who wrongs them. Forgives the guilty. Talk about an upside down kingdom. Forgives the undeserving and has compassion on the needy and the suffering. Mercy is not something you do. Mercy is something you are. And if you are his poem and he has given you grace and mercy, you have no justification to not forgive those who have wronged you. And when you are unforgiving and you choose to not show mercy, you rob yourself of the very mercy that God wants to give you in your life. So to be saved and forgiven by mercy and withhold the same mercy from someone else who's created in the image of Christ is a form of spiritual treason. And so we have to remember and continue to encourage others to remember your story of grace. His mercy to you. So as we remember our story and we're filled again and again with God's mercy that we don't deserve, we need to make another decision and that is we need to, number two, refuse Refuse, refuse the world's story. You have your story by Ephesians 2, saved by grace, and then you have another story, the world's story of how they say you offer mercy. Eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. You hurt me, I hurt you. Ever played the board game Sorry? Trouble? It's why they named it Trouble. So you knock your spouse off that board game, you have trouble. 
Some of you right now can't play board games in your marriage because you need marriage counseling. He hurts me, I hurt him. You see, the world system, the world system is built on lies. Don't believe me, go to Genesis 1 where the, 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 uh, the father of all lies, Satan himself, tricks Adam and Eve. The world system is based on lies. There's not an ounce of truth in the world system of mercy. World system, period. The world doesn't know and understand mercy. The world is broken. And the system is built on your own merit or your skill in manipulation. If you can't get it in your own merit, you manipulate others to make it happen. They hurt me, they're gonna feel it. That's our world. Why do you think that Jesus says, don't live by the patterns of this world? I want us to look at a worldly perspective of when it comes to how we react to those who've wronged us, those we're in debt to. And it's found in Matthew chapter 18. And there was this man who had such major, major debt. The Bible says, uh, well, the Greek interpretation of it is billions upon billions, billions of dollars, billions. This man, there, it was impossible for him to pay this debt off in his lifetime. Billions of dollars. And he goes to the king and the king, rightly so, gives the sentence of him to be sold into slavery, his wife and his children and everything he owes. And of course, in his bankruptcy and his debt, he bows himself prostrate before the king and says, have mercy on me, please have mercy, be patient with me. I will do whatever it takes to pay off the debt I owe. And then it says, his master was filled with pity. What is that? Mercy. And he released him and forgave his debt. Mercy. He didn't deserve it, but the master had pity on him gave him a second chance and gave him mercy. And so what does this man do as he leaves the master's uh, royal uh, chamber? He goes and he offers mercy to everyone who's wronged him, right? No, he does what most of us do. He goes out and he finds the person that is in debt with him. And in comparison to the billions of dollars he owed the master, the debt that this other guy had was in comparison to a full tank of gas. And he takes the man by the shirt and he wrings his neck and he says, I will kill you if you do not pay me what is owed to me. And the man fell to his knees and said, please, sir, please, sir, I can work on this. Please be patient and merciful with me for I will pay back the debt. And this man who was forgiven 
billions of dollars, he threw this man into prison. And once the king or the master found out, he called this man, this hypocrite, this evil person into his chamber and he says, look, you are an evil servant. I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. I had pity on you. I had mercy on you and I forgave your debt. But now, since you didn't show it to others and you did not live it out, he threw him in prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt, which means he was in prison the rest of his life. Now Jesus gets real. That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Is he saying you're gonna lose your salvation if you don't forgive? No. We gotta remember salvation is not based on what we do or don't do. Salvation is built on grace, but what he is saying, we all need to hear. If you continue to live your life when you have been given the grace and mercy in Christ Jesus, and you live your life with entitlement and refuse to treat those who have wronged you, you refuse to treat them with respect, love, forgiveness, and mercy, don't be alarmed if you begin to reap what you sow unhealthy, broken relationships, sadness, unrest, depression, discouragement, bitterness, jealousy, anger, and shackled in guilt, shame, unrest, fear, and regret. Do you see that in that passage? It says he was thrown into prison and tortured. When we don't forgive and show mercy, we throw ourselves in a prison that we create. And we're tortured by the unrest, the unforgiveness, the bitterness, the jealousy, the selfishness, the hate, the guilt, the shame, the fear, and the regret. And we're free in Christ, but yet we're shackled by our own unforgiveness and lack of mercy. Who's wronged you? Former relationship? Former pastor? Former teacher, what about your mom and dad? What about your ex? That doesn't go well. Jesus doesn't give any exclusions. This parable, this story, he's talking about mercy. This man owed debt he could never pay back. Who in your life has wronged you to a point that they will never be able to say enough, do enough, or beg enough to get your forgiveness. We have to remember our story. We have to refuse the world system. We have to lay our lives down as Jesus modeled it. And number three, we need to reflect right now in every moment of every day, we need to make the choice. What story will we live our lives by? The world's story hurt me. You better start running. 
Guys, we live in a world right now, all of our society, you, I don't even have to say it, you know it. We have corruption through and through our government and our worldly system like no other. We have people cheating the system. We have people abusing people. The sex trafficking is real. We have people being victimized every day. And we have people, when we proclaim ourselves as Christians, they put a target on our back and we become their enemy. Don't believe me? Keep living. It's coming because God says it's coming. But in order to be persecuted for the name of Jesus, we need to be wearing mercy. I'm not saying be passive. I'm saying be merciful. The last thing I'm gonna say We've been talking about full dependency on Christ, like someone hooked up to a ventilator. The only way that we can be the attitude of Christ is if the attitude of Christ is living within us. And in order for us to be the attitude of Christ, we need to abide and remain in Jesus. John chapter 15 says, remain in me and I in you. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You wanna live out and grow up in Christ and you want to make a difference and an impact for the kingdom of God, we need to grow up. And in order to grow up, our sense of self and our flesh needs to melt down. That's why Paul prayed, God, would there be less of me and more of you? But what do we do in this world? We knock on every door that the world provides, don't we? We knock, on, we knock on the door when we need self-esteem and security. We're so insecure in ourselves. So we knock on the door of social media and see if anyone's listening and anyone can affirm us and blow smoke our way and build our confidence up. Yet we don't go to the Lord and what he says about us. We knock on the doors of wealth and success and status to bring some sort of validation to ourselves, some sort of, some sense of purpose and value and happiness. We wanna live out the American dream. I don't see any of that in Jesus's words here. The kingdom dream is found when you lay your life down. That's the kingdom dream. That's where God says you will be blessed. You will be happy you will be fulfilled. Guys, don't be tricked and lied to by the doors that this world offers. We knock on the door of self all the time that says it's all about you. It's all about you. Go get what is yours and if anyone stands in the way, plow them over. Do unto others as they do to you. 
all along were knocking on doors, knocking on doors, knocking on doors, where Jesus, the one who gives us mercy, is knocking on our door, waiting for us to stop knocking and to just open the door of your heart to him. Some of you need to stop knocking on all the doors in front of you that tell you that if those who are undeserving and guilty of wronging you, that they should be punished. That's not your job. Sadly, when you unforgive or when you don't forgive and when you don't show mercy, you lock yourself up and you rob yourself of everything that God wants you to have. And so would you just bow your heads with me? I'm just, I'm asking you, some of you know me, some of you only know me by name or by face, but I'm pleading with you to take this to heart. It's so sad, the statistics of how many Christians receive the word of God and the teaching of God just speaking to us. It's like we look at ourselves in the mirror and we walk away and forget what we look like. Guys, please don't be like the Christians I experienced in 2006 that left me so wounded because they didn't know how to show mercy and grace. Don't be like that and hurt other people and keep people away from the kingdom of God because of your selfishness. You have to remember your story that you are saved by grace. And the same grace that saved you is the grace and mercy you need to show those who don't deserve it. Friends, this is so difficult. This is so difficult. But if we want to grow in Christ, we need to say that very dangerous prayer, God, help me be merciful. And when we say that prayer, friends, be ready because the stress test will be where God puts us on the treadmill and says, I'm going to test you so I can see inside of you, of your heart. Just like if you want to know what's going on in your physical health in your heart, you go to the doctor and what does he do? He hooks you up, puts you on a treadmill and says, I'm gonna push you to your limits to see how healthy your heart is. Could God be putting us on a spiritual treadmill and hooking, him up, hooking us up to see what's in our heart and pushing us to our limits, meaning the people who don't deserve our mercy and grace, they may be the ones that are cutting you off on the road of 28 when you go home. They may be the one in the grocery lane that is shouting at the cashier and is taking forever and you have to be somewhere. It may be the coworker or the boss that is manipulating things to push you out and to get them in. It may be the sibling or the family member that is doing everything they can to push all the wrong buttons. 
And Jesus says, this is your spiritual stress test. You wanna know if you have mercy in your heart? Step on the treadmill. So as the worship team comes up, I just ask you, what do you need to let go of so that you can begin to start receiving God's blessings of mercy, of peace, of wholeness, of generosity? What do you need to let go of? See, when you come to the Lord with clenched fists, you can't receive what he has to give you. So open up the hands of your heart and receive the mercy and the grace and then give it freely. I'm gonna ask you just for a moment to sit in stillness and silence. Whatever you need to do, do. Just sit there and let the worship team just wash over you. Let's reset our lives. Let's come back to Jesus. Let's get real and start modeling to others the billboard that we profess that we are. Thank you for listening to our weekly sermon. If you'd like to go deeper with another resource from our church, please check out our weekly Impact Bible Study podcast as well. Both of our podcasts are available on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud.